Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and today I want to talk about coping. Some people just can't cope. It's not because they're weak-willed losers, but it can definitely make us feel like that's the reason. I had a really stressful situation last week, and I wanted to understand why I escalated it so much in my mind. In this episode, I'll share with you why some of us just can't cope, and both nature and nurture is involved. And at the end of the episode, I will share how you can get started on becoming more resilient so you can handle stress in a way that you won't regret later. So let's dig in.
stressful business-related situation pop up for me that I had no control over, but was desperately trying to exert control and fix the problem. It took me a week to even start resolving, and during the time I was so stressed out I couldn't work, didn't have much of an appetite, and didn't sleep very well. I went on two to three rage walks a day, and that helped, but I realized that I didn't have any other coping skills. I live in the Boston area and winter's like six months long here. So what am I going to do when the ground is covered in ice and snow? My members and I were talking about coping in a recent meeting and how it's hard to do the stupid stuff and it just doesn't seem like it's going to help. And if you're interested in joining us for a meeting, then check out the link in the show notes to learn more information. I thought that after almost three years of sobriety, I had made some big progress in my ability to deal with stress, but this situation made me realize that I still get really overwhelmed. And this made me interested in learning why some people just suck at dealing with stress. Part of it is because we have no tools and we've trained our ourselves over the years that we need alcohol or other self-destructive behaviors to cope. When you stop drinking after so many years of reinforcing that alcohol helps, you come out of it with the same tools that you went into drinking with. So in my case, that was zero tools. Before drinking, I had other self-destructive coping strategies that I would use, like restricting food, and I obviously don't want to go back there. But I realized this past week that we need to be gentle on ourselves. Imagine for a minute your younger self at whatever age you started drinking problematically. What kind of coping skills and tools did that version of you have? How did you deal with stress before drinking? And I'm assuming if you drank a thousand drinks, you probably didn't deal with things very well. So those are the tools that you're coming into sobriety with. Even if you're decades older, just being older doesn't mean we're more emotionally mature and capable of handling emotions. For me, I recognize that I went into drinking with zero tools and then came out of drinking at 29 with zero tools. And just about three years later, I have some tools, but I still need to work on it. And while we're drinking and relying on alcohol to do everything for us and make us feel better and instantly change our mood, it's impossible to learn tools because you're just relying on alcohol and external things to change your mood and your emotions. My main way of dealing with tough stuff is to walk it off. That helped me because it was the only thing that I was willing to try. A big list of coping skills like take a bath, go on a walk, journal, that's all great. But if you're not willing to try any of them, then it's really not that helpful. We have to think about what we're actually willing to try. I need to think on this more and think of one or two more things that I'm willing to try and then do those things. Even if it's not helpful and you drop the coping skill and try other things, you have to at least give the stupid stuff a shot. I'm secretly hoping that I can learn that cleaning is a good way to cope with stress so then I do a better job at cleaning. So maybe you want to try that one too. When I was dealing with this work issue, I started shaming myself again for being weak and a loser. Why does this always happen to me? Am I really never going to grow up? Just really like defeated stuff like that. 
So I figured there's probably something different about my brain here, and then I looked into it. Some people feel stress, they do some self-care, and they use it to motivate them to work harder or find a solution to their problems. They're able to disconnect and realize that in the grand scheme of things, this stressor doesn't have a major impact. Others feel stress and very quickly become overwhelmed or depressed. We feel helpless and like the world is out to get us. A mouse study from 2014 looked at what's going on in the brain to make a mouse respond to stress with resilience or to respond with defeat. They found a group of neurons in the medial prefrontal cortex, which is a part of the brain that we spoke about back in episode 61. And this group of neurons determined how the mouse acted when faced with stress. The medial prefrontal cortex links our feelings with our actions, and it plays a role in decision-making, reward-guided learning, and retrieving memories. Many different studies in humans, monkeys, and rodents have found that activity in the medial prefrontal cortex is linked to the subjective value of a reward, which is something that we talk about constantly here. So go listen to episode 91 and 115 for more. But the value that you place on alcohol is key to whether or not you're going to drink it. This plays a major role in relapse because emotional triggers will jack up the value of alcohol in our minds. And once we value alcohol more than we value sobriety, we're probably going to drink. Studies have found that the media prefrontal cortex becomes overactive in depressed people. And this 2014 study used a mouse model for depression, which is known as learned helplessness. And this is something that humans can experience too. So the way that they did it is they randomly shocked mice. The mice couldn't escape and they couldn't avoid the shock and the shocks were unpredictable. So the mice quickly learned that there's nothing they can do and that's learned helplessness. Next, the researchers put the mice in a box where half was a grid that would shock them and the other half was safe. They would flash a light and then shock the mice so the shock started to become predictable. If the mice ran to the other side of the box where it was safe, then they were considered resilient mice. And if they just sat there and took the shock, they were considered helpless and defeated. So what the researchers found is most mice will bounce back and learn to avoid the shocks, but about 20% just passively endure it. Resilience is a really important quality, and I recommend listening to episode 104 where I had an expert guest on to discuss it. Resilience is our ability to recover quickly from difficulties. So it's the opposite of learned helplessness. Whatever resilience we started out with, which was probably pretty low since we turned to alcohol to cope, is then just pulverized by all the alcohol that we drink. Alcohol isn't helping us cope, it's reducing our already minimal ability to cope. So then we become more reliant on alcohol and less able to cope on our own. When the researchers looked at the brains of these mice, they found found that the helpless ones had an overactive medial prefrontal cortex, 
and that this area of the brain was less active in the resilient mice. Then they used chemical genetics, which is a technique that allows them to use small molecules to increase or decrease the amount of a gene that's expressed, and they use that to turn the resilient mice into helpless mice. So they use this technique to make the medial prefrontal cortex in resilient mice overactive. And then they found that this change caused the mice who used to be resilient to become helpless and not escape the shocks anymore when they had the opportunity. So when one part of the brain is overactive, it might mean that another part becomes underactive to compensate for it. We can't have too many competing things going on in the brain. The medial prefrontal cortex is part of something called the default mode network. And this network involves a few areas of the brain and is active when you're at rest. So the activity of this network decreases when we're doing something. And then it turns back on when we're daydreaming, thinking about the future, looking around, or recalling memories. When the default mode network becomes overactive, it can cause a person to ruminate and get stuck in their thoughts and to enjoy things less, which are two symptoms of depression. Several studies on humans have found that the medial prefrontal cortex is overactive in people who struggle with alcohol use disorder when they encounter a cue related to drinking. In animal models, exposing the animal to cues set off alcohol-seeking behaviors and led to increased activity in the medial prefrontal cortex. Studies have found that having less plasticity in this area is associated with negative coping strategies like emotional eating, binge drinking, and having more arguments. So I've mentioned a lot of different episodes, and just a reminder, they're all going to be in the show notes for you if you're looking for other episodes on these topics. In my opinion, our inability to deal with stress and negative emotions is part nature and part nurture. Many of these studies were done on mice, but there have been studies in humans that found that chronic stress and depression can cause changes in the way the brain functions and the strength of the connections between different areas of the brain. There may be some abnormalities in our brains that make us less resilient to stress and then combine this with the nurture side where we didn't learn any tools and it's very easy to begin relying on alcohol to deal with your problems. Alcohol instantly fixes everything. Even though it makes it worse later, it still fixes it in the short term, so it's very easy to believe that alcohol helps. Many studies have found that resilience is protective against developing an addiction, and it seems like being resilient is key to staying sober. So before you start to feel upset that I'm implying that you're not resilient, which then must mean that you're weak, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's a difference between persisting, bouncing back, and thriving in the face of stressful circumstances and just living through stressful circumstances. It doesn't mean that you're weak because you're not resilient or because you are not very resilient. It just means that you need to learn some tools. So if you want to learn some tools, then here is something that you can work on right now. It's called emotion differentiation, and it's your ability to identify how you're feeling. Many of us will 
know that we feel good, bad, or fine, but can you be more specific? Studies have found that emotion differentiation predicts how we're able to handle things. If you can't understand how you feel, then you can't use your emotions as a source of information to help you decide how to act and respond. People who struggle to identify the way they feel will often dwell on, misinterpret, and amplify their feelings. And then this makes negative emotions unmanageable and out of control. And studies have also linked struggling to identify emotions with using self-destructive strategies to try to reduce the negative emotions and make them less overwhelming, like drugs, alcohol, and binge eating. I am absolutely someone who dwells, misinterprets, and amplifies my feelings. And I know that the way I think about things is a big reason that stress feels unmanageable for me sometimes. So I'm not trying to make you feel bad that you're not very resilient or you're amplifying your feelings and making it worse. But I think if that is the case for you, recognizing that it's something you need to work on will only help. Pretending like our problems don't exist is not very helpful for us. So what helps me is to label my feelings. I'm feeling anxious right now or frustrated or vulnerable or insecure. So whatever the negative feeling is, labeling it and being specific more than just bad will allow you to have a better understanding of what it is. And I also ask for feedback often. When I've escalated something in my mind, then I shouldn't be dealing with it because I'll probably make it worse or do something unprofessional, petty, or dramatic. So I ask my husband for feedback and help crafting responses to people, or I strategize with him or a friend on how to move forward with the situation. If your emotions feel out of control, then getting outside feedback can help you navigate it in a way that you won't regret later. And something else that helps me too is to recognize whether I'm feeling high energy or low energy. Anger is an example of a high energy emotion and depression is a low energy emotion. So for high energy emotions, we need to do something to get the feeling out of our body. This is why I like the rage walk and why I did that so much last week. If you stuff down a high energy emotion with alcohol or just by ignoring it, it's just going to come back later even more intense. And for something low energy, I give myself a break and do some self-care and restful activities. I don't try to force myself to exercise or do something that requires energy or focus. And giving myself a break allows me to work through it and feel better later. So if you're in a spot where emotions overwhelm you and you struggle to deal with stress, then it's okay to recognize that you need some more tools. So your homework for this week is to come up with one or two things that you're actually willing to try and then do those things next time you feel stressed. Like for me, I can say journaling or take a bath, but there's a 0% chance that I'm going to do either of those things. So I would not put that on my list. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to check out my membership. If you want to hang out more and chat more, attend a meeting, more info is in the show notes, and I will talk to you next next week.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.